My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you, and put it in context. So call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I always say, there's no room for woulda, coulda, shoulda in this business. See, I don't like second guessing. It's a distraction, and it's pure masochism. Always think forward, eye on the prize, never backwards. But at the end of a fabulous month, capping off 10 straight weeks of gains, even when, when we pull a little back today with the Dow dipping 69 points, s and inching down 0.28%, and the uh, NASDAQ declining 0.29%, I can't resist. I can't resist beating myself up. Self, self-flagellation time. With so many stocks roaring here, I feel compelled to reveal the, the, a bunch of stocks that I am kicking myself for not pushing hard enough. Ten of them. I know. I know. I should be focused on the much better than expected gross domestic product figures that show a lot of positive corporate spending that came out this morning. I should be drilling down on how Larry Kudlow, the president's chief economic advisor, came on squawk on the street and told us that he thinks the talks with the Chinese are going great. He says we'll get a fabulous trade deal of historic proportions. No one seemed to care, but he did say it. Nah, not tonight. Nah, tonight I can't help myself, actually. I just can't help myself. Tonight, I just want to go back to fourth grade. Mrs. Turoff's class, actually. The last time someone slapped a kick-me sign on my back, and I got the stuffings knocked out of me. So let's go there right now. Let's just do it. The ones that got away. Yes, and let's go through the biggest woulda, coulda, shoulda names that I should have thought about and talked about every single night on this show. These were obvious winners, even if we missed it at the time. I'm going to start with Eli Lilly. Now, I've been a fan of Eli Lilly, but I cannot believe how long this stock traded like it was dead in the water. 670, 65, 70. Wall Street was terrified that Lilly's diabetes franchise was under attack. But then out of nowhere, a consensus started to emerge that the company would be able to fend off its rivals. At the same time, Lilly came out with a solid anti-migraine drug and it put Loxo Oncology, a targeted anti-cancer play, which, by the way, was announced actually on Mad Money. Since then, the stock's been unstoppable. Lilly was at 77 at this time last year. Now it's at 126. I know, I know. Other stocks have roared more than this one. And I've been pretty consistent in liking Lilly. But the stock never should have been so low in the first place. It was always safe and well run. And I should have been pounding the table every single day on Lilly. Lilly. Then there's Twilio cloud-based communication software play that helps you it helps companies like Lyft and Airbnb send you text messages. A year ago, the stock stood at 34. Now it's at 121. What did Twilio do? Here's the thing. It, all it did was do what it always does. company won a ton of new business and its revenue growth accelerated because it has a great ecosystem that helps app developers who want to connect with their customers. Again, I was out there telling you Twilio was terrific, but when I was in San Francisco the last time, uh, actually, that was two times ago. Twilio's CEO, Jeff Lawson, taught me how to code. They all have to know how to code there. So it's vital to the fourth industrial revolution. He showed me how to send a message by cell phone to all the customers of the Longshoremen, our new Florentine restaurant in Brooklyn, telling them about our specialty pizzas for the night. Remember, to be a kick-me stock, it has to be lights out obvious. That's Twilio. Sure, I pushed it, but I should have pushed it a lot harder. 
Speaking of Captain Obvious, my wife Lisa swears by QuickBooks. It's how she runs both the Longshoreman and Bar San Miguel's books. QuickBooks is made by Intuit. And we've had their chairman, Brad Smith, on the show a bunch of times. Plus, I sat next to him at a really cool dinner. Intuit was at 166 bucks last year. Now it's at 247 Again, I've recommended the stock a lot, but I should have been recommending it every day. Every day. Because my wife uses the products every day and swears by it. Next up, you know I'm a proud Brooklynite, right? I've never hid that. I live in the fastest growing city in America. One of my favorite things about Brooklyn is that we have a fabulous company located down the block from me. It's called Etsy, the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods. I see it all the time. I adore those guys. My daughter sold pillows on Etsy. I love handcrafted cufflinks, which you can see on Squawk on the Street. I roll my sleeves up here uh, nearly 3,000 times, by the way, I've done that. Uh, So no cufflinks. Etsy's gone from 25 bucks to 71 over the past 12 months. And yes, I've liked it the whole way. I've looked at it every day. I started recommending it at 13. But this is a company that raised the price of its service. None of its customers balked. In fact, Etsy just garnered more business. So I should have been relentlessly pushing this terrific Brooklyn-based business. Instead, I was more enthusiastic about the, the Nets. Nets are not bad this year. They don't make the playoffs. Anyway, then there's Roku. Do you know I was actually worried about Roku? which makes the hardware and software that lets you stream online video directly to your TV. I'm not kidding. Even as I swear by the product, I was convinced it was only a matter of time before Amazon destroyed them. Yet I stand here every night and I tell you about all of these companies offering streaming services. I know that neither of my kids has cable TV. I, I don't take it personally. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, it's, it's okay. They both have Roku. The only thing worse than missing Roku is going to the fire Festival. Around Christmas, when thousands of people were thinking about switching to Roku and the stock was trading at just about 25, why didn't I pound the table trying to tell you to buy it? I I guess with the stock at 66 now, the only thing I can say is, kick me. Firefest. Yeah, cheese sandwich. Remember when China was supposed to wipe out Boeing? How many times have you heard this? One out of four Boeing planes goes to China, so if there's a trade war, Boeing's going to be crushed. The stock was supposed to be a casualty of the trade war. But if you thought like that, you ended up missing one of the best industrial stories out there. Boeing is just annihilating Airbus. It's it's the only meaningful competitor. The truth is China needs Boeing more than Boeing needs China. The stock's defying gravity, and people are still afraid to own it. Sure, Airbus has a remarkable bar on the A380. Hey, I took it from Milan the other day. They have some food. fabulous boutique jibs. Hey, they made me a killer Negroni. But that plane's being discontinued. Nobody wants it. They want planes from Boeing. Boeing doesn't have gin. It's got good planes. China can't afford to cancel their orders. The wait for new aircraft is way too long. I've told you this many times, but I should have been much more adamant. Okay, now let's have a crescendo of kicks, please. Let's talk about Workday, ServiceNow, Splunk, and VMware. How many times did I sing the praises of these companies with some incredible outsized gains? How many times did I say you ought to go spelunking when their stocks drop? How about, hey, look, my wife's on the board of Bucknell, all right? She told me that they substituted Workday, they, they put it in their system, and she loves what, uh, what, what Workday's doing for them. What did I do? I said, hey, that's great. Uh, we, we, we have uh, Sanjay Putin on. He's the COO of VMware. I, I say good things. But you know what? I say a lot more good things about Fang. And when, what have those stocks done lately? I mean, they're all stuck in the mud. I should have been pounding the table on the Cloud Kings day in and day out. Forget the fang. Oh, and I should point out that Workday and Splunk reported blog quarters this very night to reestablish the idea of kick me. The bottom line, it's not enough for me to be occasionally recommending a great stock. That's why I am kicking myself tonight. Normally tonight, 
This is over after tonight. These are companies where someone in my family uses their products. I love their managers. I believe in the story. I sit here and recommend their stocks every night, 3,000 times. David in Virginia. David. Hey, United States Treasury boy, uh, Jimbo. I've read your book starting from a Wall Street, uh, confessors of a Wall Street trader, all the way now to make a life rich with mad money. So I, um, I'm interested to know about this trade. Uh, Eli Lilly wants to exchange for every one share of Eli Lilly. They want to exchange it for four shares of, of Elon, uh, about 4.5 shares of Elon. Is that a good trade or yeah, not? It's great for Lilly. I, 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 you know, I'm not recommending Elon because I like uh, as much I, I like Elon. I like humanization pets. But the better story there is going to be Idex or Zoetis. But you want to keep Lilly. Stay in Lilly. Let's go to Justin in Indiana. Justin. Uh, Hardy Hoosier State, booyah for the Emperor of Kramerica. Wow, I like that title. And how much we loved when we went out to Indiana for the show. And by the way, Frank Reich, Super Bowl next year, Colts. They won the last 10 out of 11. No one pays any attention except for me. What's up? Hey, Jim. I want to talk about Cloudera. They beat on earnings every quarter last year, but despite that, the stock is still down 24%. With their first earnings report after the Horton Works merger coming up in a couple weeks, is this an undervalued stock ready to break yes. out? Yes, it is. Even though it's up 30% for the year, I love that combination. I sang the praises of it. Now, look, is it a cloud king yet? No. Uh, do I like it as much as Workday and ServiceNow? No. But you know what? It's a nice teenage stock, and I understand people want to use it. I'm going down to Florida. Let's go to Jim in Florida. Jim! Hey, Jim, this is Jim from St. Pete Beach, Florida. Man, it's always sunny my there. Stock is, my stock is First Solar. I'm wondering how the uh, when the dust clears from the negotiations with China, what's your outlook on that stock? It, 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 too much guesswork there because of exactly what you said. I, I don't know when the dust clears what it's going to look like. I do know that my old pal Larry told some pretty good stories today. He's a, a president's chief economic advisor. Uh, but that's my take on it. All right, now listen to me. I am kicking myself over not pushing harder some of these incredible stocks like I should have. And you know what? I'm wearing the sign, and it's deserving. My bad. But tomorrow is another day. Oh, man, money tonight. Investments in the two big C's in the market, cannabis and China, aren't created equal. I'm pointing out my favorite players in both markets right now. Then, surely you know that Amazon is its core e-commerce business. Maybe you remember Prime. But maybe you're missing the key component of the company. Do not make a movement. I've got something special. Amazon Web Services Division CEO. And has the aversion of frozen food started to thaw? I'm talking with the CEO of Nomad Foods to see if today's move higher could signal changing consumer taste. So, despite the fact that I didn't hit these stocks hard enough, stay with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Listen, I know what you want me to do, but you can't chase every stock in a red-hot sector. People want me to go full Cheech and Chong and recommend every cannabis stock. No! I'll only recommend the best of the best. Can it be growth? Kronos or GW Pharma? And GW Pharma doesn't really count. They're a drug company that just happens to take some 
inspiration from marijuana. People want me to recommend every Chinese growth stock. I hear you in the lightning round. I know you do. No, I'll only give you my, give you my blessing to buy Alibaba. Though I also like Baidu if you can get it on a pullback like this. Now, there might be some other Chinese names at work, but I need to do much more homework on them before I recommend them. And I've got to tell you, even with homework, some of these are so opaque, I just can't go there. Why not just say, yeah, I like that whole sector? especially on a day like today, where five of the highest profile Democratic presidential candidates uh, rolled out a bill to legalize marijuana. Senator, listen, Senators Cory Booker, Elizabeth Warren, Kirsten Gillibrand, Kamala Harris, and Bernie Sanders, they all want it to be legal nationwide, mainstream idea. Seems like it'd be a good moment, right, to go all in on the tow train. So why do I insist that you stick to only the best of breed players? Let's take cannabis first so you know what I'm talking about. I've spent a lot of time with Canopy Growth. I've had many lunches and meetings and interviews with Bruce Linton. He's the chairman, co-CEO, and co-founder of Canopy, which is trying to dominate both the recreational and the medicinal marijuana markets in Canada and all around the world. Canopy already controls 30% of the Canadian business. But you want to know the real reason I like Canopy? It's because Constellation Brands, STZ, has already done the due diligence for us. Yep, the fastest-growing major beer company could have invested the money in any cannabis stock, but they chose to pour $4 billion into Canopy. They did the homework and giving Constellation's terrific track record. I trust them to get it right. Oh, and if, if it wasn't uh, wholesome enough for you, Martha Stewart just joined the Canopy team as an advisor to develop new CBD products. That's the stuff that's already legal in the United States. Good housekeeping seal approval as far as I'm concerned. I admit, I was more skeptical of Kronos Group. I was a little late to the Kronos train. But CEO Mike Gordonstein has very similar ambitions to Bruce Linton, and he's got his own major backer, Altria, which ponied up $1.8 billion for a stake in Kronos. That will help them develop infrastructure and become a global player in this business. Again, Altria's got gravitas. They know more than I do about this stuff. They may be an ethical, dubious big tobacco company. But they know how to make money. And Mike Gordonstein seems like a real straight shooter to me. GW Pharma, what can I say? And they're on last night, right? It's the chicken way to play cannabis because it's a drug company. Unlike Kronos and Canopy, GW's main product has FDA approval. They're at, these guys are selling actual medicine with uniform dosing. Doctors love that. At the moment, it's only been approved for a particularly horrendous form of epilepsy. But it's looking like a terrific anti-seizure drug. And epilepsy, epilepsy is a huge, sadly huge market. I want you to go read Kurt Eichenwald's book, A Mind Unraveled, if you want a better understanding of the condition that afflicts millions of people that GW Pharma's got something to solve. I think GW Pharma deserves a much higher valuation because the potential total addressable market here is enormous. All right, what about the other cannabis companies? They don't have the pedigree, the partnerships, or in GW cases, they don't have the pharmaceutical bona fides make me look, look, you know, to make me like them. I just can't. And look, you don't need to like them all to make money, especially when so many of these pot stocks have gotten so overextended here. I could hurt you. I'm not going to do that. How about China? I like Baidu, the Chinese search engine that effectively has a monopoly because Google won't operate in the People's Republic. Uh, and Baidu's stock has been hammered. Kind of interesting. But it's Alibaba that's my favorite because it's the Amazon of China. And that's a gigantic market. Just as important. Hey, by the way, JD did pretty well today. You see that? Alibaba has U.S.-like financials. That makes me feel more comfortable. And I would be a buyer here, even though I like it and we're into weakness, obviously, and we're having some trade difficulties. Again, you don't need to recommend every Chinese stock to participate in a market that could blow up if President Trump does to China what he just did to North Korea. Although when we interviewed Larry Kudlow this morning, he was incredibly optimistic about the possibility of a historic deal. The market didn't seem to trust him, by the way. I thought the market should have been up on what Larry said, but it ignored him. Why don't I recommend more cannabis or Chinese stocks? 
because these are the two riskiest areas of the market, people. They remind me of crypto at all times. And I don't want to hurt you. At least when these best-of-breed names that I just mentioned go down, I can tell you to buy more because they're worth picking up into weakness. That's the whole point. Stick with the best and leave the raggedy rest to others. Brad in Michigan. Brad! Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, so a little bit about me. I'm a day trader, kind of a newer stock guy. Right. Um, I have a day job. Um, okay. Not playing with a lot of money, but a little bit here and there, you know. Um, so basically what I do is I find earnings reports that have upsides that are coming up. I buy the stock and okay. hopefully I can. Yeah, that's a catalyst-driven catalyst trader. Catalyst-driven yep. trader. Totally makes sense. Go so, ahead. So I bought AB and Bev, and I'm wondering, should I sell it and take the quick money, or should I hold on to it for a little bit? Well, you're a trader, so sure. that means you got to take the money. That's your basis. That's what you do for a living. So you should be, you should, right now, sell, 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 catalyst, sell, sell. got it, win, go. That's what traders do. Investors do something different. Never let a trade turn into investment. So it's time to, and congratulations. China and cannabis are the two riskiest segments of this entire market. And now you know the best plays in the group. Much more man money ahead. Now that Lyft plans to use Amazon Web Services for all of its online activities, has the company cemented its place as the world's leading cloud player? I've got the CEO. And is frozen food taking a comeback? Based on the latest earnings from Nomad Foods, it sure seems that way. I'm talking with the CEO to find out if the stock could defrost and continue to move higher. And it's a company behind the data of 85 of the Fortune 100, and I've got the exclusive. Don't miss my sit-down with private player Informatica. And stay with Kramer. Okay, everybody knows Amazon is a retail colossus. It's crushed competitor after competitor. But you know what? In my opinion, retail's not even their best business. The future hyper-growth of this company may be all about Amazon Web Services, AWS for short, the pioneering provider of cloud computing capacity that's become the undisputed leader in the field. Last year, AWS generated more than $25 billion in sales. If they were an independent company, you know, I'd put them as number 119 on the Fortune 500 list. Plus, they're still growing like a weed. Get this, they're up 47%. It turns out providing the backbone of the cloud is a much more higher margin enterprise, too, than selling people stuff over the Internet. So I think it merits a closer look, which is why I am so excited tonight. We are thrilled to check in with Andy Jassy. He is the CEO of Amazon Web Services. Yes! To learn more about the incredible business. Andy, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It is an honor to have you for what you've built. It is incredible. And what I think people don't realize, we talk about the cloud so much because even though you're growing at 47%, even though you have 25 billion sales, we are very early in this part of your company. Yeah, it, it, sometimes we remind ourselves, even though it's a $30 billion revenue run rate business growing 45% year over year, it's the early stages of the meat of enterprise and public sector adoption in the U.S. Outside the U.S., they're 12 to 36 months behind, depending on the country and industry, so it's still really early days. Can you explain to people the value proposition? Because I think people think that it has to peak until they get the economics. Yeah, the, you know, the, the conversation starter when people move to the cloud is always cost. And if you can turn, instead of laying out all that capital for data centers and servers, and instead only spend what you consume, that's usually very advantageous. So capital expense turns to variable expense. Variable expense is much lower than what most companies can do on their own, because we have such large scale that we pass on to customers in the form of lower prices. We've lowered our prices 70 different occasions in the last 10 years. 
You know, and then you get real elasticity. You provision what you need, and then if it turns out you need more, you provision more. If you don't need any more because you're at the peak, you just give it back and stop paying for it. So price always is the conversation starter. But the number one reason that enterprises are moving is speed and agility. Usually, if you want to try an experiment in your company, it takes 10 to 12 weeks to get a server, and then you've got to build all the infrastructure sure. software around it. In the cloud, you can provision thousands of, of servers in minutes. And then because we have 165 services that you can use in whatever combination you want, you can get from an idea to implementation in several orders of magnitude faster. So you can I, innovate much quicker. I wish everybody were an entrepreneur. You'd be listening. I, I, we ripped out another arrival. I'm going to mention that arrival and went to you at the street. It, it was so fast. It saved so much money. It was instant. And I didn't even believe it could be this good. And I'm not kidding. That's not a commercial report. It just happened. It's empirical. Lyft is a good example. Just this week, you got Lyft all in. What a great customer. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and what Lyft's doing in the space is, is pretty amazing, and the pace that they're growing at is really amazing. And so to be able to scale the way they have, first as a startup and then a, a fast-growing business, and then what they would tell you is that they're able to invent and change the customer experience so quickly, several orders of magnitude faster than they could if they were doing it on-premises, that it's really helped build their business. Now, people... Uh their eyes glaze over when I use the term machine learning. But I am dealing with someone right in front of me right now who is at the essence of the machine learning revolution. It is a revolution, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think that the vast majority of applications in the next five to 10 years will be infused with some sort of machine learning. We're in kind of a golden age of computing. And there's uh, almost every company that we speak with is interested first in being able to, most importantly, being able to take their own data. Most companies have gobs of data. Even startups today have gobs of data. But it's so hard to know what's in there, and it's so hard to know what the gems are, and it's so hard to know what's going to be the predictive pieces that change the customer experience. And our machine learning capabilities are going to solve that for a lot of customers, we hope. Okay, so Mark Benioff buys Time Magazine, and they are a good uh, customer. What does Time Magazine need at Amazon Web Services for? Well, I think very much the same way that any company does. Again, if you are building technology applications and trying to build consumer experiences, you want to do as much as you can for as little money as possible. And then you want to be able, when you have ideas, you want to be able to move fast. So one of the things that happens at companies that build on the cloud is it used to be in the old days where it was so hard to get anything done. None of your workers, none of your employees spend any time outside of work thinking about new ideas because why bother? It was so demoralizing. You never get to try it. But because you can provision instances and servers in minutes, what you find is that people spend their free time thinking about new customer experiences because they know they can have something they come up with over the weekend and come in Monday and try it for a dollar. You know, and so it changes how many people in your company think about innovation and where you get new ideas from throughout the company. Well, I think people should know that it's not all big companies. There's a huge percentage of smaller companies that either start on Amazon Web Services or know it's a better bargain. Yeah. A gigantic number of small guys. Yeah, we have uh, most startups have built their businesses from scratch on top of AWS. And some of the big examples are companies like Lyft and Airbnb and Pinterest and Slack and Domo and Robinhood. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very large number of them. But there are a lot of businesses that either haven't gotten big yet or are just trying to build a business. And one of the interesting things that happened in, in I remember in 2007, 2008, when we had the recession, there were all these very gloomy emails sent from a lot of venture capitalists, capitalists saying, don't expect to get funded. But actually, the number of startups kept growing because as opposed to having to go raise money to pay for data centers and servers, people can try several instantiations of their idea on top of AWS. And if it, it isn't getting traction, you pay a 
something like 80 cents a month or $1.50 a month, whatever your usage is. And so we have loads of companies that are trying to build businesses on top of us that really only pay anything meaningful when they have traction. Well, I think that your, your role in the American economy, you're too humble for this, I'll just say it. When I hear Jay Powell talk and the Fed talk, and they keep saying, we don't know why there's no inflation. And then I think about the, all the price cuts that you put through. It, it's your company that has been instrumental in having a, a keeping inflation at bay while we grow. Would you think that's too overstating things? I don't know. You know, it, it's always hard for me to measure the impact we have on the overall world. But I, I, what I can tell you is the way we think about it at Amazon is that in every single one of our businesses, we have never met customers who don't want prices to go down. And so if the center of your gravity is customers, which it is in every single one of Amazon's businesses, you're always working relentlessly to find ways to take cost, structure, cost out of your structure so you can give it back to customers in the form of lower prices. It's actually really easy to lower prices. It's much harder well, to be I, able to afford well, to lower prices. Well, can I tell you that you're the first guest who has stood, sat in front of me and said it's easy to lower prices. Almost it, everybody thinks it wrecks their margins, and therefore they're never going to please anybody. Yeah. You please more customers by giving them a value proposition. Yeah. We're much more focused on the long term than most companies. We are trying to build a business and a set of customer relationships that outlast all of us. And as such, we think if we help our customers get more done and are successful on their own, even if it means lower margin percentages, over time we'll, we'll drive more absolute margin dollars and they'll be more successful and we'll ultimately be more relevant. But you're also a very competitive person. I go on all these Oracle calls. There was one last year. Larry Ellison said uh, they think of themselves as a competitor, Amazon. So it's kind of embarrassing when Amazon uses Oracle, but they want you to use Aurora and Redshift. They've had 10 years to get off Oracle and they're still on Oracle. Can we end that? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, uh, I, I think Larry has a, a certain view of the world that isn't always steeped in, in what the facts are. But, you know, if you look at, uh, well, if, you look at Am- if you look at Amazon, Amazon, um, uh, you know, we started the company at a very early stage and we had Oracle. And it takes work to actually move away from Oracle. Lots of customers are learning this as, as so many people are trying to move away from the commercial grade legacy database providers like Oracle or SQL Server to newer engines like Aurora. And we now are 88% of the way through moving all of our Oracle databases. We'll be 100% by early, uh, by mid this year. And then we turned off our Oracle data warehouse in November of last year and uh, moved it to Redshift. And so we, you know, we learned some very interesting patterns that customers are very excited about copying. And we don't really meet a lot of customers who aren't looking to move away from those databases to Aurora. I usually don't ask this to people, but I got to because you're you seem to really love your job. I do. I, I'm, I'm incredibly lucky. I, you know, I've been at Amazon. I, I finished my last final exam in graduate school the first Friday of May in 1997, and I started at Amazon that next Monday. And I didn't know what my job was going to be. I didn't know what my title was going to be. I didn't know what group I was going to work in. But it was very important to them that I started that Monday. And if you look at how I've kind of winded around for 22 years at the company, it's I, nobody could have ever predicted it, and I'm incredibly lucky to have been part of the part of this adventure. And the, the the great thing is, you know, as exciting as it's been the first 22 years, there's so much in front of us all. It's it's very early days. Now you see one one of the main. You're not a reason, your person, but why I think that Amazon is just such a great company. That's Andy Chassis, the CEO of Amazon Web Services, AWS. The most exciting part of Amazon, if you ask me. They have money's back after the break.
the United States, the packaged food business has become a slow-rolling disaster. Kraft Heinz, ConAgra, B&G Foods, Kellogg, Coca-Cola. It's just been one gigantic disappointment after another, hasn't it? But when you look across the Atlantic, different story. Take Nomad Foods, N-O-M-D, a British-based roll-up that sells frozen food across Western Europe. Here's a company that was created in 2014 by, among others, Martin Franklin, a longtime friend of the show who you might remember as the man behind Jordan, which he eventually sold to Newell Brands. They snapped up Igloo Group for 2.6 billion euros, picking up a bunch of frozen brands, uh, Igloo, Birdseye, and Findus. And since then, they've picked up a few smaller properties. Here's the thing. No one's been on fire. The stock's basically doubled over the past two years or so. And today, it pulled vaulted 6.8% in the wake of a very strong quarter. Yet it's still reasonably priced, trading at roughly 16 times next year's earnings estimates. So how is it that Nomad is thriving while its American peers seem to be struggling? Some of this comes uh, from down from co- to competition from cheap private label knockoff brands. In Europe, private label already makes up nearly half the market. And it's peaked a while ago. In America, private label's at 15 to 20%. It's still sneaking up. At the same time, Nomad is a smaller, more focused operator than these U.S. packaged food giants with a clean balance sheet and terrific execution. But don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Stefan Deschmaker. He's the CEO of Nomad Foods. To learn more about his company and his prospects, Mr. Deschmaker, welcome to Mad Money. Thank you, very much. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me, by the way. Oh, of course. Stefan, I think what's interesting is Americans, American stocks, people, they claim they wanted a good dividend. Right. That's why people bought food stocks. They claim they wanted safety, but the dividend isn't that big anymore. And there's very little safety. I think the nomad approach of fast growth is what people should be looking at. You obviously agree with that. I cannot cannot really agree. You know, we're reinvesting behind our business and it's a great business. So why should we reinvest behind behind dividend at this stage? We're growing, which is great. Now, we all love it. We should talk about the things that people don't realize can grow. For instance, uh, fish fingers. Frozen fish is a great business. Why is that? Well, fish first is, is, is a great category. It's 40%, by the way. 40% of our business is fish and coated fish. 20% is vegetable. So obviously very much in line with the trends. And when you're coming with, with a great category and a great quality, and the great icons, great brands like, uh, like Birdseye in the UK, Iglo in continental Europe, Findus in other parts, uh, and you're re- reinvesting behind your brand, you re- you're obviously reinvesting behind quality at some stage, you know, it's, it's working. And so uh, millennials like it, fish is very much in tr- on trend. So, um, yeah, it's, it's working well. We have found in our country that millennials who are, frankly, cash-strapped in large part because of big uh, uh, student debt, they love frozen food. They love it. They get home. They can put it in. Boom. And it's not expensive. Are the millennials similar in Europe? They're absolutely similar. I can tell you it's exact. These are exactly the same theme. So it's about health and wellness. It's a convenience. It's sustainability. And it's affordable. At the same time, frozen food, you, know, you have very little waste, so it's, it's spot on. And these are the themes that we are working behind. We are the undisputed leader, as you know, in frozen food in Europe. We are the category leader, and we have a role to play as category leader. That's what we're doing. Now, Stefan, until I read your conference call, I have to admit, maybe I've been too cavalier about Brexit. There were several questions that indicated that, well, Nomad is ready. You have got the supplies, but you did say, look, our number one thing is that we got to be sure that the, our customers are going to be supplied. It made me think, should we be thinking that maybe Brexit is going to, it could freeze the food chain? 
and that maybe Europe or UK won't get won't have all the food it needs? No, that's good. That's going to be okay. But you're right. I mean, operating number one for whatever happens with Brexit is to make sure that the customers are going to be well served. And uh, we have prepared all the contingencies. We have obviously increased our inventory to get to get that to to, to do this. So we're ready. We spent quite some time, but we're ready. Now, uh, there, you've got higher costs, including the cost of fish, uh, which has gone up. You obviously must be able to have pricing power or else your sales would be going down. Well, that, that's, that's exactly, Jim, that's exactly the point. Uh, we have great brands. And uh, over the last three, four years, that's exactly what we've been doing. We have been reinvesting behind quality. We have been in reinvesting behind the brand and advertising. And yes, we have, we have pricing power at this stage. And uh, that's what we're doing. That's what we've been doing. You, know, you have a lot of inflation in fish. And, um, and we ourselves and private label, by the way, we're increasing price. So we're not the only ones. All right. Well, one last but question. We're starting. Uh, one of the things that you guys have done, if you just also uh, are able to take brands, and this is something we can't seem to do anymore in this country and really make them grow. You buy Goodfellows and you get that thing to grow 5% year over year. What are you doing? No one's getting that kind of organic growth. But, you know, Goodfellas is a great brand. It's, it's in the great category. Pizza is, is a really good category. Frozen pizza is a great category within frozen food. And, uh, and Goodfellas, together with Bird's Eye, it's, it's a great con- combination in the UK. And uh, obviously, with, with uh, the kind of, uh, uh, let's say, the kind of relationship with, uh, we have with all the retailers, we're in a position to, um, to improve, obviously, the, the, you know, the, the, the the positioning of the brand uh, with Tesco, with, the, with Sainsbury, with all these guys. So it's a win-win for all of us. And, uh, and the, the trade is very pleased because what they've seen, what we've been doing with, uh, with uh, Bird's Eye, and we're going to do the same with, uh, with Goodfellas. We're increasing quality. We're going to improve advertising, packaging. So the, the whole flywheel. Well, you're the dominant player in, a, in the fastest growing part of the supermarket other than the absolute yeah. fresh, which we can't make any money. At least we can make, any, we can make money with Nomad. I want to thank Stefan Deschmaker, CEO of Nomad Foods. Hey, listen, we want growth. We don't want dividends. Man, money's back after the break. It is time! It's time for the Labor Quiz! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate! Dad, it's time for the lightning round! Let's start with Dan in California. Dan! Hello, Professor Kramer. With 5G wireless communications clearly on the forward upswing, what's your view on Crown Castle International? Pretty simple. The tower stocks work. We'll be rolling out covers of tower stocks very quickly. We're doing 5G by the weekend. I'm going to Robert, New York. Robert. Kramer. Booyah from Buffalo. There you go. I love the bills. Jimmy, Inigent. It's about a $300 stock a year ago. A crater yesterday down to $100. I bought in. Is this a dead cat bounce or a buy and hold? You know what? I don't want to let anyone down, specifically because my friends, the B-Bouts, are from Buffalo. I'm going to have to do more work on the Inogen because I don't have the image in my head of the Inogen. We'll come back on that one. Let's go to a little homework. Let's go to John in Connecticut. John. Hey, Jim. 
Thanks yep. for taking my call. Of course. The stock I'm interested in is Expeditors International of Washington, EXPD. I like them. I like freight forwarding. I like the fact that they're logistics. That's been good. Ryder's been good, too. I prefer these guys to Ryder. Andrew in North Carolina. Andrew. Yes, thank you, JC. Your okay. knowledge helped me last oh, year on CNBC. Thank you. What are your thoughts on L-I-T-E for the oh. future? Man, that's just a heartbreaking stock. That thing is just too hard. It has really crushed people, and then it's made people crush people too volatile. Brian in Maryland. Brian. Booyah. Jimbo, how's it going? Couldn't be better. Thank you. How about you? Good. Pretty good. I got a shout out Mr. Marsh, a business teacher, and I was wondering about uh, the Nike stock. Nike is a bye-bye-bye. You know what? I got to tell you something. When you see a guy blow out a shoe, get hurt, and it doesn't send the stock down, I got to tell you. And by the way, can I just – a clinic. They put on a clinic when they do their quarter. Clinic. Mark Parker, you are always welcome, and I'll fly out there to see you. Let's, he's a CEO. Let's go. I'd like to go to a board meeting because, you know, uh, Tim's on that board. Tim goes on the board. How about Bob and me? Bob. Hi, Jim. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Of course. I tried to get educated and do some investing. Two years ago, I bought uh, Schlumberger at 83, and it was supposed to be a good buy because it was down from 117. Well, you know, today it's, uh, uh, what is it, 44. I've lost over half my money. Okay, Bob, here's what I'm going to tell you. Down here, 4.5% yield, absolutely dividend safe, according to the last conference call. Great board, great management. Paul Kibsgaard's going to do well. You get oil just stabilizing here, and they'll come back, and here's what I'm going to tell you to do. I know you don't want to hear this. I think you should buy one. I know that's the last thing you want to do, but you got to average down in this stock because it's too inexpensive right here, and the quarter was okay. That's painful, but i got to say it. All right, we're going to – and I'm sorry. That's what happens in the, in the business, part of the game or part of the institution. How about Torin in California? Torin. Booyah, JC. Booyah. The land of palm trees and sea breeze, Newport Beach. Oh, so beautiful. Okay. I just want to – Wanted to thank you for the great graphics, interviews, and understanding of the market. I've got AYX earnings just came out this. Week. Oh man, you're <laughs> you're talking about one incredibly hot stock, Altiris, and I know it was a fabulous quarter. And what can I say? The stock was down three. It's been up. It's a red hot stock. I would not abandon that stock. I like it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, it's the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. We spend a ton of time talking about the rise of cloud computing on the show and big data because these are huge long-term stories. People don't understand how long and far out they can go. Do you know that there's something like 20 billion connected devices on Earth right now? And that number keeps growing leaps and bounds. Those devices generate a massive amount of information. Before you can plug it into some fancy analytics software, figure out what it means, you need to organize it. And that's why tonight we're going off the tape with Informatica. That's a privately held company, meaning you can't own shares in it right now. That's the world's leader in enterprise cloud data management. Their software uses artificial intelligence to integrate, parse, and manage data so that other companies can do something useful with it. That may not sound super exciting, but Informatica's got a fabulous read on the technology trends that are revolutionizing the way we do business in this country and the world. So let's take a closer look with Anil Chakravarthy. He is the CEO of Informatica. To get an update on his company and the 
broader industry. Mr. Chakrafarthi, welcome back to Mayab Money. Good to see you, sir. It's Have great a seat. To see you again, okay. Great to see you again. First, I just wanted because I thought this is incredible. You are um, you, know, you accelerate data-driven digital transformation, but what you really are is a company with 10,000 customers. Right. Top 10 of the Fortune 100, 85 of the Fortune 100, 40% of the Forbes Global 2000, and you're not even public. Well, not 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 yet. No, not yet. But the thing is, is that you've got to be of the companies that are private, the fastest grower. We come. I mean, sure, there's going to be Lyft. These other companies are the queue, but you've got the. You are a cloud king. We're seeing really nice growth. In fact, last year actually was the highest revenue ever for the company at $1.2 billion. Yeah, this space around data management, like you just said in your opening, is great because it's powering a lot of these new generation of AI-powered intelligence. Well, let's talk about When people say, when you say AI, let's just say you've got tremendous drug companies. We didn't talk about them last time I talked to you. You got J&J. You know, you do a remarkable, I mean, that must be one of my favorite companies because it's such a fantastic. But you have Amgen. And in your Amgen, in a little Informatica sheet that you guys gave me. They say you help understand the relationships between patients and using Amgen's medicines. You know, is there artificial intelligence and even trying to figure that out? Yeah, I, what's happening right now in most of these life sciences companies is you have a master data management, which means how you get a full view of data. Typically, it's patient data, clinical data, provider data, as well as the actual drugs that they're working on. So every life sciences company is doing it, as is Amgen and Johnson & Johnson, etc. We just announced, by the way, an acquisition of I wanted to announce it on your show of a little company called Allsites. Okay. Allsites is the leader in AI-powered customer insights. So how to get customer insights out of a variety of data sources, applying machine learning and AI. And that's the kind of platform that's driving all of these next generation of use of data in companies like life sciences companies. Okay, well, I saw you last at Dreamforce, and I know that you have a close relationship with Salesforce. Is this the kind of thing that would be integrated in your relationship with Salesforce? It is. So what happens is, you know, all of these companies like Salesforce, Adobe, etc., right. they are the ones that are providing the last mile of dealing with the customers, right. the customer success platforms, whether it's through social media, email, contact centers, etc., etc., Salesforces. Behind that, you have to have a common data platform that supports all of that. And that data platform is where you apply the machine learning and artificial intelligence. That's what we're talking about. So we integrate really well with Salesforce, with Adobe, with Microsoft, et cetera, to make that happen. You know, I, I saw, you guys also have the FDA. If I were yeah. a drug company, why wouldn't I want the company that the FDA is hired to take tra- get, track all these things? And we do the same thing for both the FDA as well as the European Medicines Agency. What they do with the FDA actually uses our software to understand three kinds of important data domains around their entities, which is around the drugs, which is clinical trials and all of that data, around the compounds that go into the drugs because there are different suppliers of the compounds, and then the production facilities. So once they have mastered each of these data elements, they can understand the interactions between them. Example, when there was the hurricane down in Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. as you know, there's a lot of compound production in Puerto Rico. So the first thing the FDA did was, hey, we're going to have the hurricane in Puerto Rico. It's going to take out the supply from Puerto Rico for a while. How does that impact different compounds, the supply of those compounds, and the drugs? And the FDA was able to use all of this data to do their contingency planning and make sure that the flow of drugs, the supply of critical drugs here in the U.S. was not impacted. 
By That's the, what we by, do without you guys for that. Yeah. Now, we have uh, Amazon Web Services, and you have, a, you have a modernization solution with Tableau powered by Amazon Web Services. I mean, I, I, a lot of times I view these companies as, as not as rivals, but you put it all together? No, uh, yeah, so how we're working with them is just, you know, if you take a company like Tableau, they're one of the leaders in analytics. Because we have them all the time, I think, terrific. Exactly. But that, and that's last mile, right? And that's right, that's the last mile. That's the application that a business user would use to do the analysis. But to do analysis, you need good data. You need right. that trusted data, and that's what we provide. And that data can come from anywhere, and that's where we work with AWS. I know you have Andy on the show yes. today, later today, and we work really closely with them because that they provide that database, they provide that platform as right. a service in order to store the data and process the data, we help manage that data and make it available through tools like Tableau and Power BI and other applications that the business user is using. Wow, you're right in the middle. It's the exactly. kind of thing that we would be, uh, I, at the top of the show, I was talking about what I would kick myself, that I did not recommend Informatica. We want, I would be kicking myself if you were public, but you're not public yet. All right, yeah, this is a fabulous story, and that's Anil Chakravarthy. Okay, you can go and look at Anil's stuff. There's a lot of different information, even though that they're private. They provide a lot of stuff to make it so that you know all about them. They have money's back in for free. And a lot of people feel the cloud has gotten overheated, but Workday and Splunk, real good after the bell. And now you know the truth behind Amazon Web Services. Like I said, there's always a market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.